beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Welcome to today's episode of The Wisdom of the Soul from the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I was playing around with Google the other day, and uh, what do I get if I Google Michael Benner? What do I get if I Google Wisdom of the Soul? And without question, (laughs) the best way to find all of our stuff is by Googling Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. You could add my name. Google continues to amaze me after all these years. Uh, You could just put in a keyword in my name or KPFK in my name with a keyword and old radio programs come up. It's quite remarkable. So if you ever have an issue, Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, I think, is a great place to begin. And then maybe my name. My primary website is michaelbenner.com. And that's sort of a gateway to everything else. So let me say that up top. Today, we're going to talk a little about Buddhism and a concept known as the fetters, the 10 fetters. And if that word seems strange, think of the word unfettered. You know what it means to be unfettered. So a fetter is a tie, a rope, a chain. Um, a bond, and in this context, a hindrance. Sometimes you'll see in Buddhism a reference to the five hindrances, which are very, very similar. But the ten fetters go back to Buddha's original teaching 2,500 years ago. And uh, there are a couple of different versions, but what we'll present today is probably the most fundamental version of the fetters. We'll also talk about five kinds of ignorance. I think you'll find this interesting. Yeah, there are five different ways, (laughs) at least in this model, for us to be ignorant. And then at the very end, I'm permitting, we'll talk about the basic precepts of Buddhist philosophy. There are different schools of Buddhism uh, Then it becomes acculturated or inculturated. What's the right word? So Thai Buddhism would be different from Cambodian Buddhism. The Zen of Japan is different from Chinese Buddhism. But uh, I'll be as eclectic and all-inclusive as I possibly can in presenting these ideas. The, uh, The precepts that we'll talk about toward the end of the class are very much like the commandments of Moses. Don't do this, don't do that. But the hindrances or the fetters, the 10 fetters we're going to talk about today, um, they're not things that you must avoid doing or refrain from doing. 
They're just a list of things that are going to slow your growth, uh, that are going to hinder you or um, bind you to samsara, so to speak. And samsara is the endless cycle of birth and rebirth that, uh, along with our identification as physical bodies, as forms, is at the root of all of our suffering. Every problem, all of our torment and misery and and suffering. Um, again, in Buddhism, you often hear reference to suffering, to misery, to torment. And I, I think it's good to consider that this may be a bit overstated. Uh, you say, well, my life is not perfect. It's not a bed of roses, but I'm not really suffering. Well, discontent, how about that? If you're just not as happy as you could be, you, these problems keep cropping up, or you're having to deal with sadness, uh, emotional sadness, or uh, just your desire nature and the fact that we're never really quite fulfilled. We want what we want, regardless of why we want it. Even if we get it, that fulfillment is transitory. That's what we're going to talk about today. Maybe we can save ourselves a lot of suffering and spare ourselves some uh, discontent, if not misery, by getting hip to the game and changing our desire nature. You can aspire to things. You can want to accomplish things. But when they don't turn out exactly as you expected them to, maybe it's because you uh, were excessive in your expectations. Maybe we could become more balanced or more realistic in our expectations when we seek to attain something, whether you know it's a possession like a physical object or a condition or, or a situation. So that's what we have on tap today. Let's begin, as always, with our opening meditation. So if you get comfortable in your chairs... And then three, eyes open now, wide awake, open your eyes, wide awake, back in the room, feeling fine, rested and refreshed, feeling better than before. Good. And a nice big deep breath at the end is always fill those lungs and then uh, as you exhale, I like to shake or stomp my feet a little bit, <laughs> stretch. <laughs> Get back in your body. Sometimes you completely lose track of your body. So get back in your body. Get back in the uniform you wear to get around the earth plane. And thank you for that. Felt a nice group energy there. Hope you did too. Okay, Hannah, let's, uh, if you can come back on mic and uh, let's share that document. Okay. In Buddhism, fetters are the mental chains that tie us to samsara, the endless cycle of rebirth and suffering, not forbidden, but restraining liberation. So the whole idea of Buddhist philosophy, and again, I hasten to remind us, Buddhism is not a religion. Buddha never mentioned God. They asked him to. <laughs> people kept asking him to supposedly 35 times and 
And there are stories that once he said, yes, there is a God, and everybody was terrified. And another time he said, no, there's not a God, and everybody celebrated. I don't know that. I don't know if that story is true. But uh, if it is, he was just toying with them. The truth is he wanted not to speak of it at all, because according to the great teachers down through the ages, he didn't think anybody could comprehend what he would be saying. In fact, there are no words for him to explain. That's why teachers like Buddha or Christ, for example, Christ said the same thing. Christ said, I have to, I have to speak in parable, allegory and metaphor, because you wouldn't understand me. So, you know, instead of describing karma, Jesus said, you reap what you sow. And uh, just always fascinating to me how few people would make that connection that that's the same thing. Or uh, that kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that the same thing that reality is an outpicturing of your your beliefs, your expectations, your your consciousness? on earth as it is in heaven in your mind. So, Buddhism is practiced as a religion. I won't dispute that. But many of the shrines in the East are uh, shrines that include like a, a, a Buddhist statue, but also various Hindu gods and goddesses. And... Um, they're all sort of conflated, all all put together. So, yeah, I'm sure there are people who would insist that for them, Buddhism is a religion. But I want to make it clear up front that it is primarily a philosophy. If you wish to make a religion out of it, that's up, that's up to you. But it's self-help is what it is. It's ancient psychotherapy. It's self-help. It's self-improvement. You develop yourself to become free of suffering. That's what it's all about. Four Noble Truths, before we get into the fetters, life is suffering. Again, that may seem overstated, so about full of discontent, dissatisfaction. The law of impermanence I mentioned in the meditation says, even the satisfaction that you get from acquiring something that you've desired will fade. That's why marriage needs work. You can fall in love and be swept away, but then when you get in the relationship, it takes work to discover what true love is, not just the romance or being in love with the idea of being in love. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It takes work. You have to build trust. You have to have mutual respect. There's no love without trust and respect. You have to be decent to each other and be kind. <laughs> I used to officiate at a lot of weddings, and usually it involves some premarital counseling. And I would always say to my clients, why are you getting married? And they'd giggle and be silly and say, because we love each other. I said, well, that's great. I'm Sure, happy you're in love. I sort of figured that part, but maybe you didn't hear the question, why are you getting married? And they had no idea. They, they thought because we're in love with each other and we want to spend our lives together and every possible minute with each other. 
Sorry, that's not enough. <clears throat> that's not nearly enough. It is if you understand the full and complete meaning of love. But love has an emotion. Love has some warm, fuzzy affinity. That's not the love we're talking about. So anyway, religion or not, let's talk about Buddhism as a philosophy. And if we're going to free ourselves from this suffering, the first noble truth, and recognize, second noble truth, how it comes from our desire nature, and to sort of get hip to this whole game, that you can seek to attain something, you can desire to grow and improve and get better, but the outcome, the result doesn't always look like you intended it to, so you have to manage your expectations. And these 10 fetters are ways that we hinder that growth. There are, again, mental chains or, or ropes that uh, prevent us from moving forward. So, Hannah, would you read the first one, please? Yes. The first one is belief in material self, craving desire for forms, leading satisfaction. And this is the most important of the 10. That's why it's usually listed as number one. The belief that you are your physical body. This is the biggest fetter or hindrance of all. Because along with it comes an assumption that you're separate. That you're disconnected. You are this meat body. Certainly some aspect of self is a reference to our physical form. No question. But we have impact on other people. We have positive impact. You have a negative impact. You have a neutral impact. Various shades of gray. I remember years ago, maybe 30, 40 years ago, very popular term, you are what you eat. Suddenly everybody was awakened, it seemed. This is like my college days, as I recall, to this understanding that Good health required an awareness of nutrition and what you eat. Well, we're also who we hang out with. We are our values, our priorities, our virtues, or our lack of virtue. But the more self-centered we become, the more unhappy we're going to be. And the more fear, the more anxiety and stress that we suffer, the more self-centered we're going to become, which is going to create more confusion and more fear, more ignorance. You don't mind me insulting us all, because we're all ignorant at times. But that's a frightening situation. That generates more fear and anxiety, which is confusing, which generates more ignorance. So there is a vicious cycle here revolving around self-centeredness. Believing I am this body, I am this single lifetime. I am my health issues, I am my disease, I am the fact that I've missed a meal, and I'm hungry, whatever. So this is a horrible mistake. And it's at the root of everything in, in Buddhist philosophy. And much of Eastern philosophy, Hinduism, Sikhism, Jainism, uh, Confucianism, uh, 
all these different philosophies that flow out of the Eastern wisdoms and intersect and overlap, they all dance around the awareness that, like light, if you put white light through a prism, you get a whole spectrum of colors, and you might say, I'm red, and someone over here says, I'm blue. But you're really not. You've separated yourself from the white light. Or the other allegory, one I like a lot, is everything about the ocean, except for the creatures that live in it, the fish and the whales and the dolphins and the octopus, except for the critters that live in the ocean, everything about the ocean is in every drop of water. As water evaporates from the ocean, it loses its salt. It doesn't carry the salt. But water is water, H2O, on a molecular level. So the drop gets separated. It thinks it's a drop. And then it thinks it's uh, a snowflake. And then it thinks it's a hailstone. In Hawaii, they have 26 words for rain. (laughs) Some of the things I loved about Hawaii, they have so many different kinds of rain. This is noe-noe. What is noe-noe? That's a special kind of very, very gentle rain, almost like a mist. Like maybe you've heard people that live in the northern climes, the Inuits, have a dozen names for snow. Uh, and so it is. The, the separated drop forgets it's the ocean, don't you see? And thinks, well, I'm a dew drop. No, I'm a river. No, I'm a mountain lake. No, you're all the ocean. And awareness is the way we remember we're part of one thing. It's that awareness, the ultimate awareness, is to realize there's just one of us here. There's one thing at work. It's called life. It's called love. It's consciousness. It's awareness. It has a bunch of different names. It's sentience, right? And it manifests as a meat body, but you're not this body any more than you are the clothes you wear. Yet, don't you know people who think they are their clothes? Or the car they drive. I am my car. I need a better car to make a good impression. And I must dress for success. Or how about I'm the house I live in? Who do you think I am? Have you seen the mansion that I live in? I'm a very important person. So if people can be confused on those levels, it's understandable that we could be confused about thinking we are this physical body. And this is where we begin in the hindrances, the rejection of that separation, moving into harmony and ultimately unity by expanding our awareness. Number two, Hannah. Doubt or uncertainty especially about the Buddha's awakeness, the Four Noble Truths, and the Noble Eightfold Path. My understanding of this, I referred to in the meditation today about knowing things instead of believing. And how do you do that? Well, to talk about the word faith is to get into semantics. And I would not dispute that there's value in being faithful, uh, having a belief in something. Uh, I personally don't care for the word. I'd rather know something than try to convince myself I believe it. 
But you are the experiment. <laughs> you are the experience. So what the Buddhist would say to you is study these four noble truths. The last of which, the fourth noble truth, is the noble eightfold path, which is the how-to. And many of you were here a couple of months ago when we devoted a entire class to the eightfold path. And uh, just before that, the Sermon on the Mount. I wanted to cover both since both are eight steps. <laughs> the Beatitudes, the summary of the Sermon on the Mount, are eight in number. And the uh, fourth noble truth is the eightfold path. They're very similar in a lot of ways. So try it out. Do it. Until, if you ever get evidence, well, this stuff doesn't make sense, it doesn't work, fine. Then drop it. And uh, the teachings of Buddha say as much. Don't believe anything that doesn't, don't believe authoritative books, don't believe uh, people who hold themselves out to be Authoritative figures don't believe anyone or anything unless it resonates in your heart as well as appears to be true in your mind. Trust that intuition. Trust life. Trust yourself. Try these basic principles. They're four noble truths. Not, it's not a whole lot. And then the last one, the fourth, is this eightfold path. And then study the Beatitudes, and then study Judaism, and then study Islam, and then study Native American traditions, and study mysticism, and theosophy, and anthroposophy, and Neoplatonism, and you say, my God, I don't have time to do all of that. Well, I think you do, <laughs> to some degree. My goodness, what's more important than an attempt to understand who you are and why you're here. I think that beats a couple hours a day on TikTok, right? Number three, Hannah. Attachment to rites and rituals. Yeah, this is easy. This is the same thing. The problem with rites and rituals is they become rote and habitual. And then you lose your conscious awareness. You're just going through the ritual uh, many people pray this way. This is one of my personal frustrations, having been raised a Catholic. There's only like three or four prayers of significance, and a rosary is only two different prayers, and you got to say them over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until they lose all their meaning. Again, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer, I mean, a part of the Lord's Prayer. I've said that so many times as a kid, had no idea what that meant. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, oh, that's a nice little rhyme. I like that. But what's it mean? Nobody ever told me what it meant. Hundreds and hundreds of times I made the sign of the cross on my body, touching my forehead in the name of the Father, my heart in the name of the Son, my shoulders in the name of the Mother, Holy Spirit. Nobody ever told me 
<laughs> for all the catechism and all the sermons, and nobody ever said why you touch your forehead in the name of your father or the heart in the name of the son. I'm not sure priests and nuns even know. But there are reasons. Your mental nature is a lower correspondence of the father aspect of the divine trinity. Christ represents the heart, the love, the consciousness. Your shoulders are the material body, the material world. The very word material comes from mater, mother, the mother earth, Gaia, mother nature. Oh my God, <laughs> why don't they tell us that stuff? Because they give us rites and rituals instead. And then it's like brushing your teeth. You don't even think about it. You just do it. Next one, Hannah. Number four. Sensual desire, carnal, and any other sensory excess. This is a hindrance or a fetter. It's like going down a dead-end road. This, again, is not forbidding you to enjoy pleasure, whether it's sensual or sensory. Sensual is usually... Uh, reference to physical sensations of touch, not merely love making, but a nice massage. Getting your shoulders rubbed feels great. Even dancing, why do you dance? Because it feels good. Why does that drive ultra conservatives crazy? Whether they're the Taliban or uh, Orthodox Jews or right-wing Christians, they don't want you out there dancing and shaking your booty. And Rock and roll was the devil's music in the 50s and the 60s. And uh, <laughs> we used to play this record when I was in Detroit. Every once in a while, we'd spin this record of this right-wing preacher bellowing about the demon rock and roll. And just as his... Uh, voice would hit a fevered pitch about Satan and rock and roll, we'd rip into a Led Zeppelin tune or maybe a Elvis Presley song or Chuck Berry or something. You want demon rock and roll, here it is. It feels good. Nothing wrong with feeling good. Nothing wrong with enjoying a nice meal, a wonderful glass of wine. It's the pursuit of that, as if it is an end unto itself that's the problem. It's the excess that's the problem. That's all. Don't be confused by this. This is not, you're not forbidden to enjoy yourself in Buddhist philosophy or in any other philosophy if it's properly understood. It's just don't expect your 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 life to have any real meaning or purpose through the pursuit of sensual or sensory pleasure. Next one, Hannah. Ill will, anger, malice, parenthetically violence, and all intentions to harm. Yeah, this is a thou shalt not kill stuff. But even uh, following the thought train of being vengeful, uh, what did Trump say the other day? I am your retribution. That's hardcore evil. Hey, you want to go down that trail, that's up to you. But think of the karma. If you plant those seeds, what are you going to reap? 
So this is clearly a hindrance. This is one of the fetters. Any intention to do harm, vengeance, retribution, holding a grudge. Who's that hurt? The person you're, I will never forgive them for what they did to me. All right, but who's suffering now? <laughs> the person that's holding the grudge. It's crazy. I can't forgive them. All right, you've just condemned yourself to suffer. Seems pretty self-evident. I, I don't know. I'm not sure why it's so hard for people to see, except perhaps the ignorance that's born of fear. Not understanding yourself is a fearful place to be. Next, Anna. Next, number um, six, lust for material existence, greed, stealing, coveting. Yeah, this is don't take what's not given. Don't steal stuff. doesn't belong to you. Again, the idea that you'll be better off having stolen is a very transient feeling. It's a fleeting idea. It's not going to last. Go ahead, steal it. Fine, you stole it. Good. You feel good? No. You feel guilty, don't you? Feel ashamed of yourself. Not going to admit it. But then there's an egoic part, the part that identifies as a separate meat body that says, I got away with something. I stole that, whatever it is. It's just a dead end. Whatever pleasure you think you got from them, and however minor it may be, well, I'm not a thief, I don't really steal big things, but well, fine, That's you're going to reap some of that karmically. That will constrain you in some way. Next, Hannah. Lust for immaterial existence, lust for rebirth in a formless realm. This is a curious one. It says that lusting for things of this world, material things of this world, which may be easier for you to see why this is a hindrance to your ultimate growth and liberation. If you were to do that, carry that same lust, that same craving, that same attachment for rebirth in a formless state, even that expectation, well, I'm going to be reborn in heaven and sit at the right hand of God and eat grapes all day, or I get uh, 77 virgins when I go to heaven, like the suicide bomber has promised, 77 virgins. Yeah, well, again, it's the lust that's the problem. It's the demand. Instead of saying, hey, universe, what can I do for you? you I, <laughs> I am a function of you. The universe, God, prime mover, first cause, the absolute, whatever term you want to use. How can we take credit for even being here? How can we demand of the universe, I'm owed something? What we have is a promise of eternity, but not in a particular form. An angel, a saint, uh, it's just as easy to get intoxicated on the idea of being all holy and spiritual and this ghostly apparition on the astral plane. That's as much of a dead end as identifying as the physical body. That's all that is. Next. Number eight. Conceit, excessive self-pride, superiority, jealousy, and envy. 
The trap here is comparing yourself to other people. Just don't go there. Because you could not be better than, nor could you be inferior to anyone. When the truth is, you are a unique emanation of the one life. Don't you see? What we have in common is we're all from the same source. But when we manifest, we're unique. We've got fingerprint evidence and DNA proof in a universe that refuses to even replicate snowflakes. There's a reason that the universe is not redundant. That the multiplicity is so uniquely diverse in the various forms that it takes. Celebrate your uniqueness as a manifestation, as an element or an extension of the one life. And consider that there is meaning and purpose in that self-discovery and self-development. If not you, who? Right? Who's going to do this? If not you, that's your job. Discover who you are, develop who you are, and express that as service to other people, helping them do the same thing in that order. All right? That's what it's all about. So, pride, eh, a modicum of pride, I guess, is okay. You want to be proud of yourself in, in a good way, in a healthy way. But pride goeth before the fall, kind of pride, excessive pride, Look at me, look what I can do. Everybody likes applause. Everybody likes awards. I understand that. Just don't take yourself too seriously. Next, Tana. Number nine is restlessness hyphen nonspecific anxiety and worry. Yeah, that's self-explanatory. Nonspecific anxiety. What are you worried about? I don't know. Why are you so fidgety, so nervous? I don't know. Why do you have attention deficit? You can't concentrate. You can't focus. Why are you? Why is your leg bouncing like that? I I, I don't know. I don't know. I had a kind of paralysis when I was in the ninth grade, where I couldn't use my right hand. I couldn't write. I couldn't move my arm. My mother was terrified. We went to the doctor. He did a quick little exam. He said, it's stress. This is back in the early 60s when nobody knew anything about stress. He said, it's stress. I said, well, what do I do? I can't write. I can't do my homework. I must have been, I must have been somewhere between 12 and 14 years old, as I recall. He said, write with your left hand. <laughs> I said, well, okay. And I went to my teacher and said, the doctor says I got some sort of stress thing. I can't write. I got to use my left hand. It's going to be, you know, pretty hard to read, but I want you to know what's going on. And it took about a month. And I used to do that knee bouncing thing. And I had obsessions where I would have to even out if I tapped my left foot twice. I had to tap my right foot to even it out. And that created a pattern that I had to then step back and repeat that pattern. Total anxiety, total OCD, uh, free-floating anxiety. That's what it is, nonspecific anxiety. It's just the pressure of being a stupid teenager in a dysfunctional family, for the most part, 
And uh, it was just too much. Thank God I didn't get a prescription for some kind of uh, some kind of medication that would have really messed me up. That's all that is. We'll do a class just on uh, anxiety and non-specific, sometimes called free-floating anxiety. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And uh, let's wrap this up, honey. We're not going to get to the five ignorances, much less the precepts today, because I want to do some Q&A in a minute. Number 10. Ignorance, the, or the origin of all fear, anxiety, and confusion. Then there's five wrong views. And so you want me to not, not list those right now. Yeah, let's do that next week. We'll do the five wrong views, which are the five kinds of ignorance, and then the basic precepts. We'll do that next week. This, in many ways, brings us back to the first one, the ultimate ignorance, where we began. The most important of all the fetters is this ignorant belief that we are what we appear to be, and that reality is what it appears to be when our senses and sensations are so extremely limited, it's laughable. What you hear is a tiny little sliver of vibration. Your dog hears things you do not hear. <laughs> Cats, uh, animals like bats that are basically guided by sonar. They make sounds and listen to the way it reflects off objects. To find an insect flying through the sky, it uses this sonar or radar, if you will, because it's blind as a bat. And so it is with hearing, with seeing, little slivers of the spectrum that's available. Even your ability to reach out and touch. So limited. The universe we now know as we observe the impact of gravity we realize that close to 90% of the physical universe cannot be perceived it does not reflect light it is invisible it for all intents and purposes dark matter doesn't exist <laughs> the only reason we know it's there and comprises 90% of the universe is that it's affected by gravity. And so, too, there's something called dark energy. And then there's antimatter. This universe is so much stranger and, and more wondrous than we've even begun to imagine. We're just beginning to scratch the surface. We're so arrogant to think we know things. It, it is miraculous what we're able to do, sending rockets to other planets and such, but... We don't really understand this world that we live in. And we need to identify the ignorance. I'll leave it here and then let's go to the Q&A. Wisdom begins with putting your attention on what you do not know rather than what you think you know. Nobody likes to know it all. Our goal in learning and understanding and identifying what we do know, what we can rely on, is merely to build a platform from which we ask better questions and be about the business of exploring what we do not know and have yet to understand. 
about the world? Yeah. But mostly about ourselves. And the game is rigged. The more you know about yourself, the more you're going to like who you are. I promise it. Double your money back guarantee <laughs> in a free class. Uh, you will not be disappointed. If others are telling us we're not good enough, if they reject us and don't tell us why, if we feel that we're inadequate, that's us. Those are our questions. It's not true. Everyone is wonderful. Everyone is beautiful. Even the most horrible people in this world have something beautiful inside them. They just don't know it. They'll have compassion because they suffer so. You say a nasty, mean, violent person suffers? Yeah, you're damn right they do. So instead of defending yourself, only defending yourself against the potential of being victimized by that mean, nasty, horrible, indecent, corrupt person, you can be smart about it. Watch your back. Be careful. Careful who you trust, right? But at the same time, fall back on compassion for their suffering. This is a message of Christianity that is overlooked when they go on and on about blood washing away the sins of the world and the Lord sacrificed his only son that you might be saved and all of that. Hey, the message of Calvary is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's my opinion. I don't think I'm alone in that. I'm not going to put it up for debate. I would just offer it for your consideration. That's the message. Compassion. Very, very high quality of love. Understanding the suffering of people you fear the most. <laughs>